0: And, and I don't know if you know about this, but it, particularly when you're coming back down south towards Richmond on 95, there's this special uh, place on 95 just to the left of you as you're going down. And it's, it's just a couple lanes all by themselves. You ever seen those before? And never wondered. And, and they seem magical, right, because there's less cars there and it just keeps going and they're able to c- continue to drive. And in case you don't know, there's this little device that you can get that can get you to those lanes. It's called an Easy Pass. It's a way for Virginia to make money, you know, build more roads and all that kind of stuff, I guess, or maintain them. And um, which, which really, what's really cool about this is my friend had an easy pass at his house. Not in the car, and so there it was. There was the Easy Pass lane, like the Express lane, H O V Express lane that we could we could have gotten on. It would have been great. It would have been magical. We would have gotten home in under two hours, and everything would have been fantastic. And yet we couldn't have it. It wasn't there. Some of you maybe uh, maybe you're thinking, man, I would love to go to this Tuesday night's Flying Swirls game, but I just don't have a ticket, and I can't make it. And it's right there in Richmond. Well. I just want to let you know, uh, there are 50 free Flying Squirrel tickets out on the welcome table. So if you would like to go uh, this Tuesday night, did you like that segue? Like I didn't even know that was going to happen. Um, but that was, thank you. I, I just had to, had to mention that. Thank you, Shauna, for bringing these in uh, this morning. And so if you want to go to Flying Squirrels on uh, for free, then grab a ticket uh, for that. So it's right there. It's, it's accessible. It's within reach. But you've been there at those moments where you've gone to the mom-and-pop store, right? And you're like, all I want is some cheer wine and some beef jerky. And so you go up to the counter. I don't ever eat those things. I don't know why I said that. But you, I feel like that's what you get at a mom-and-pop store, though. So so you go up there to the counter, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to check out. And then you see the sign, cash only. And you're like, well, but I've got this card. And I promise you, it has money on it. And I could just... I, I do, really do have money, but I can't access it. so close, and yet so far, maybe, maybe this summer you're going down or have already gone down to the beach with everybody else who goes down to the beach. And so you see along the beach road, the beach is just right there. I mean, it's, but you can't find a parking spot anywhere. It's so close, it seems like it should be accessible, but it's out of reach. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Our word for today, as we look through the book of Acts... And see how God's sparks of movement through the Holy Spirit and through the church is the word "accessible." Uh, because one of the big things that happened as people were sharing the gospel about Jesus, one of the big things that helped the church to grow and become continue to be the global phenomenon that it is through what Jesus had done thousands of years ago, is the people who shared God's grace. And God's truth with others made the gospel accessible. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about a a guy named Paul who had this amazing transformation from being this guy named Saul who actually hunted down people who were Christians, jailed them, and executed them. who became Paul, someone who's a believer in Jesus, and he became the greatest missionary to ever live. The vast majority of the book of Acts, particularly the second half, is about Paul's missionary journeys as he's going around starting churches, sharing the gospel, and all kinds of different types of scenarios and cultures and cities. He meets thousands of people who have no background in the Jewish faith. Thousands of people, most people at that day didn't even believe in monotheism. They thought there were many gods. Just about everybody believed that and especially had no reason to believe that God became a man, died for their sins, and then rose from the dead. But Paul, as he travels and as he shares the gospel, takes this one simple principle from Jesus as he's sharing this message. And that's this. He meets people where they are to make God's love accessible to them. And as we watch his story unfold, we see that he was really a master at doing this, meeting people where they are to make God's love accessible. Paul travels over 10,000 miles, establishing countless churches and planting churches who planted churches. Thanks to Paul and his companions and the Holy Spirit, the church continues to thrive around the world today. He's saying, well, how how did, like, is that still possible? How did they do that then? What does that look like for us now where they were consistent? Time and time again, they shared the truth, That God is near, and he would meet them where they are. So we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 17, where we find Paul going with some of his companions to a city called Athens. Now, some of you have probably heard of Athens. It's in Greece. 500 years before Paul comes onto the scene, this is a cultural center. I mean, this is where the... uh, essentially the birthplace of philosophy happens. So if you've heard of Plato, Socrates, you've heard of Aristotle, you've heard of Aristotle teaching Alexander the Great. I mean, this is a huge deal in history, what happens uh, in in Athens. In fact, uh, many people look at it as the birthplace of democracy, uh, the cradle of Western civilization. There are a ton of things that happen through here. And so 500 years later, Paul finds himself in this city, and while he's waiting for some of his fellow travelers, he starts to look around at the city and it sees, sees it full of idols. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. He's greatly distressed, and actually that word um, you, you could translate upset," but uh, actually it has the sense of Paul being infuriated by what he sees. He sees that the city is full of idols. And so he begins to reason in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. I mean, it's Paul's custom as he goes into a new city. He's, like, he's going to find out the people he has cultural connections with, fellow Jews and other God-fearing uh, Gentiles who are there in the area. But he doesn't just stop there. He also begins to share the gospel with anybody that he possibly can in the marketplace. And sometimes I think maybe we look at Paul's story, and, and, and or at least maybe you don't, but I do. I'm kind of wondering, all right, so Paul goes to the marketplace he goes to somebody's synagogue, all right, which is basically like going to somebody's church, and he starts talking to them about, you know, what, what the truth is about Jesus. So he's kind of disrupting some things there. Then he goes to the marketplace, and he's talking with a bunch of people he has no connection with, and he's sharing Jesus with them there, and it kind of makes you wonder. I was like, well, right, was, was Paul just the most successful street preacher there ever was? What's going on here? How is he sharing the gospel? We know from Paul's life that he was a tent maker. Maybe he was in the marketplace making tents, and maybe he was there as raising money for continued trips and to spend for his time there that's in Athens on lodging and food. And maybe it's a part of the course of his everyday life as he goes to worship God and as he goes and interacts with the other people that he happens to share the gospel as he lives his life. I don't know. But here's, here's what did happen. In Athens, people were very interested about ideas, particularly new ideas. And Luke continues to describe what happens as Paul is sharing the gospel wherever he goes in Athens in chapter 17 verse 18. And Luke says a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, "What is this babbler trying to say?" Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. That parenthetical statement is like really sarcastic from Luke here. He's like, these guys, this is all they do, is they want to hear what the latest fad is and the newest thing is and just sit there and talk about it. Maybe you know some people who are like that. Well, the Stoics and Epicureans, I mean, these are the two biggest schools of philosophy at the time, particularly in, in Athens. And so these are the people that kind of, uh, rule the roost is, is maybe the best way to describe it As they are coming together and leading in this city And so when they hear Paul, they're like Alright man, you, you need to spend some time Explaining to us what you're talking about Because we're, we're the philosophers Like we kind of know what's going on Now they have very different ideas Stoics were very much uh, the school of thought That, you know, um, a simplistic life is best they, they felt like everybody had the spark of divine in them, uh, but, you know, materialism and the pursuit of, of just happiness and that kind of thing, it doesn't really fulfill, and so there's got to be more to life. And so they were guided by ethics and morality, treating people well, that kind of thing. And so when they heard Paul talk about Jesus and how he lived and how he walked and how he talked, it sparked their curiosity. Now, the Epicureans, they didn't deny themselves anything. They were the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die people. They didn't believe any kind of life after death. And so whatever kind of physical pleasure that you could experience this side of death, like that was your goal in life. But when they heard Paul talk about the resurrection and that there was more than just this, it piqued their curiosity as well. So there are pieces of what Paul is saying that caught the attention of both groups and they wanted to hear more. So they invite Paul to this hill. This is the Areopagus. It's also known as Mars Hill. And this is where they would get together and they would talk and kind of hold counsel and hold court about whatever was going on in that day. Now, I just kind of want you to put put yourself in Paul's situation. Um, What would you talk about? If you had a group of people that said, hey, we want to hear more about what you're sharing, this message of the gospel, how many of you have this, this is rhetorical, you don't have to raise your hand or say anything, uh, how many of you like know where you would start, what you would say, how you would explain what you believe? If you were put in front of a council and say, all right, give us some evidence, give us some uh, philosophical insight, give us some logic to... Why you believe what you believe, why you have faith in what you have faith in, why you do and live life the way that you specifically live life according to what God has taught us through his word. I mean, maybe you're breaking out into a cold sweat just thinking about that kind of situation, that kind of scenario. Like, Man, I don't know where to start, where to begin with a bunch of people that I really don't know Maybe I just need to share with them, because a lot of us, you know, maybe have had an experience with a street preacher, right? And so the first thing you're going to hear from them is that, well, you're all sinners and going to hell. And so you need to know that, right? That's important. How does Paul begin? How should we begin? And how should we talk about our faith and make the love of God accessible to others? Now, well, here's what he does, verse 22. Paul stands up in this meeting of the Areopagus and says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Just for the record, ignorant is not a, that's not a disparaging term in this context, right? All right, you you guys know that, right? Um, If I just said, you're ignorant, like, or ignorant, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, that would be disparaging. You, you don't know of this very thing you worship, and, and this is the thing that I'm going to proclaim to you. And Paul could have gone in and launched into this, like he had the whole Old Testament memorized, essentially. And he could have launched into this 5,000-year history you know, of teaching about the Israelite nation and what God did and all of these things that happened. But he doesn't do this. What he does is he establishes rapport and context with the people that he's talking to. And he recognizes that, um, that, that all of us as humanity, somewhere along the line, we have some sort of connection to God that we recognize somewhere in our lives that there's something bigger. And even these Stoic and Epicurean philosophers, who many of them actually didn't believe that either the gods existed or that the gods were even involved in life. They still involved their lives in the system of sacrifice. They still involved it in, in, in their politics and everything. Like all of that was intertwined and interconnected in this life. And Paul recognizes this and says, hey, here's a starting point that we can all agree on. It's like you, you honor gods in your life. In fact, you do this so much that you want to make sure that you don't leave one out. Because you don't want to offend, accidentally offend one, right? Right? And so they have this altar here to this unknown God. Because, hey, at somewhere along the line we might discover a new one. And so we want to make sure we've been honoring that one as well to keep ourselves out of trouble. And Paul says, I, I know exactly who, who that is. I understand where you're coming from in your culture. And so let me speak into that. Let me share with you this God that you don't know about. He continues on in verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Paul begins to preach, but he's not preachy. He doesn't call them stupid or try to scare them or alienate them or send them all to hell. He meets them where they are in a conversation they're already having. See, what Paul is doing is just explaining to him, to them, these people, the, the logical progression of their own beliefs. It's like if, if you believe, for example, Stoics, that there's the spark of the divine in all of us, then how... How would you then make the conclusion that God would somebody, somehow be represented by an idol? By something that's inanimate. Something that doesn't speak, that doesn't interact, that doesn't do anything. It's just a hunk of stone or metal. And it reveals a perspective that begins to change how these people would think about their lives. How we think about our lives. And he says this in verse 27. Let me read it again. God did this, all of this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God is closer than you realize. So one of the things I think, one of the mistakes that we make when we think about the gospel in terms of sharing it with other people making it accessible to others is we think of people in terms of being so far away from God and we need to bring them along so they can get closer to him because, man, they've got, they're, maybe you think of, uh, the things that they've done or where they are in their life, the, the sin and how they're separated from him. And you think, man, there's so much distance there. But not from God's perspective. God's right there. God's in the midst of pursuing that person through you, through others, through the Holy Spirit. God's always been near. He's always been close. And that idea and that type of thinking shifts our perspective when we think about, how, well, how can we make this gospel message accessible to other people? is that he's really not that far off from others. But he goes a step beyond that. He doesn't want to just be close to people. He also wants to hand the key over to what makes him directly accessible to others. It's not enough. God doesn't want to just be near to us and around and in the same proximity. He wants to be with us. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to be with us. So he meets them where they are, and Paul begins to share even quotes from their famous poets to show that God is closer than they realize and that their beliefs are even closer to God than they realize. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, he quotes a Greek poet. He, does, uh, he quotes another one in the, same, uh, in the same verse, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that a divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooks such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul doesn't pull when he punches. He just doesn't start with punching him. <laughs> he addresses idol worship, and he talks about the things that cause us to be separated from God. And what exists in there, but he spends time first telling them how close they are to understanding who God is. That they're really not that far off. As people who have all been created by him, we carry his image as humanity, that that we're really a lot closer than we think. Making God's love and, and, and truth accessible. His grace and truth isn't about watering down truth. It's not about skipping over the hard parts. It's not about ignoring the fact that people disagree about things. It's about meeting people where they are and helping point them to Jesus. And I tell you, there are going to be situations and scenarios in your life that, that you have opportunities to draw people closer to Jesus, but it's not going to be because you have 5,000 years of uh, Jewish history memorized. Or that you have the book of Acts memorized. But it's going to be because of how accessible you've made yourself to someone else. As some of you know that I've spent time in my past uh, as a youth pastor. Um, and one of the things, <laughs> just to let you know, like when you're going in, particularly when you're meeting kids for the first time. Um, and and like one of the things you don't do to establish a relationship with them, for example, is like interrupt their Friday night date and and. You know, give them a devotional on abstinence. <laughs> you know, like, like that's not going to be how you connect with that person. At some point, do you need to have that conversation? Absolutely. <laughs> like that. That's that's going to happen at some point. You're going to have that conversation, but that's not going to be where it starts. Where it starts is actually spending time with them and letting them know, man, I, I care about who you are. I care about what happens in your life. And and when you make yourself accessible to another person, that that's. That's what starts to help them see that, that God is near to them because they start to see that through you. Like, Are, are you willing to, to spend the time with someone else that lets them know that regardless of who they are, where they've been in your life, that you care about them and what happens to them? not that you just care about them you know if they become a christian and start coming to church with you but that you care about them because they're a human being that's been made in god's image that god is near to them that he's pursuing them and he wants them to be reconciled to them years later because of developing those kind of relationships with students that i've had i've had them reach out 10 years later and talk about hey you know here's here's uh, some questions that i have about what's going on in my in my faith and they trust me. with, Even though I haven't seen them in 10 years, they trust me with that simply because of the time I spent with them when I was with them in person. So much of making God accessible to others is being accessible ourselves. In Athens, Paul taught like a philosopher. He talked to people about their religion. He quoted their poets. And this is just a small sample. And they would have had a much longer... Nobody had short conversations then. They didn't have short attention spans. They didn't have TV. Um, They would have had much longer conversations. But he didn't just shove stuff, information down their throat. He recognized where they were and made God's truth accessible to them through what they knew and understood. And a number of people responded to Paul. Even a member of the Areopagus Council became a Christian as a result of this. There were men and women in Athens that became Christians, and they're still Christians in Athens today because of what Paul was willing to do then and what Christians have continued to be willing to do. And so you think about, like, what does that mean for the rest of us? How do we make the message of God accessible? You can start by, like, don't try to take thousands of years of history and ram it down somebody's throat in a rushed presentation. Take time to meet them where they are listen. That's one of the biggest things you can do is listen to their life, to their worldview, and look for the opportunity to show them that God is near. He's right there. You don't have to know everything there's to know about God just to be ready to tell them what he's done for you and invite them to join you in the journey. He's accessible. And those who don't know God will learn how near he is by how accessible accessible we are. So here's just a couple, couple things that Paul did that we can do. Paul cared. When he goes in, and when he sees the idols, like it, whether you read this, it, distressed, upset, infuriated, like Paul had a visceral reaction in his life. It wasn't just emotional, it was something that, um, something that changed what he was going to do in Athens as a result of the knowledge that there were people who were so close to God but didn't recognize that. And so we're so far away. He cared about the spiritual state of the city of Athens. So we think about, well, how are we caring about the spiritual state of the people around us? The next thing that he did is he actually, he was a Christian in the marketplace. And so that's something that you and I can do. We can be a Christian in the marketplace. And when I say that, like I'm not talking about going to the grocery store and like wearing a Christian t-shirt. I'm talking about, in in your life, whether or not it's your business, whether or not it's your social life, what it like, it's okay for you to unapologetically be a Christ follower. That that that's something that people can and will respect and take note of in your life. And and this is not about like pontificating about your belief. It's about living it out and explaining that to people. Well, this is why I do what I do. This is. Why, as I'm a boss or as I'm a coworker, worker as I'm a subordinate, for example, in the marketplace, this is why I approach my job with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It's because of who I am and because of who God is and because of what the Holy Spirit has done in my life. And then when you have those opportunities, and you will, and you will be given those opportunities, share God's message of grace and repentance. When Paul was invited to explain his faith, he shared the grace and the truth message of the gospel that God has extended to all of us, that we can freely accept, and that's freely given, and we get to respond not with a system of sacrifices anymore to, you know, something or someone we're trying to appease, but someone we're trying to honor because of what he's done for us. I hope that's the perspective you have when it comes to your faith, and I hope that's the perspective that uh, you have when it comes to sharing your faith with with other people. Let me let me pray for us this morning, God. It's it's uh, it's just not always easy to recognize the opportunities that we have to share the gospel with other people, and God, I ask that uh, that you would give us. Strength through your Holy Spirit to not only recognize the opportunities, but to actively look for them. That we can take uh, Paul's example uh, and see that this was, this was not a, a passive activity for him, but this was something he actively sought out. And with wisdom uh, and with care and with wanting to uh, reach people, and share with them how near you are to them, um, that he was able to make the gospel accessible because of that. God, help, help us to be active in our faith. Um, help, help us to see how living out our faith wherever we are is, is sharing the gospel. It's helping to begin to make it accessible for other people and that we can take opportunities to share, share it and explain it uh, because of the difference it's made in our lives. God, we ask you... All of this in Jesus' name, amen.